0: Today, we talk about the color of street photography on Behind the Shot. Hi, as always, welcome back to Behind the Shot, the show where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots. I'm Steve Brazel, and as always, I appreciate you joining me today. I've got a great guest lined up. Just a reminder for you, the show notes for today's episode, you can find those at BehindTheShot.com. TV. You can follow me on social media. It's either Steve Brazzle on Twitter or Instagram. It's like the country Brazil, but two L's. And uh, not only that, you can also do behind the shot TV on either Twitter or Instagram. And that brings us up to today's guest. I want to jump right in because it's actually late where she is. Uh, the way I found out about today's guest was I got an email. I did an episode a while ago with Erin Holmstead, which was one of my favorite shows actually to do because the shot was so crazy and her story about uh, how she did the shot was crazy. And I mentioned during that show that the way I met Erin, we were at uh, WPPI in Las Vegas and I, I, a mutual friend, Skip Cohen, introduced us. And Erin handed me two of her business cards and I immediately knew that I needed to get Erin on the show. And I don't know, a couple days after the, that episode released, I got an email that said, "Okay." we need to see the business card. And that was today's guest asking about that business card. Pia Parolin, how are you?
1: (laughs) I'm fine. Thank you, Steve.
0: It It is so nice to have you here. What happened was after you sent me that email, and I do this with every email I get, is usually people put in an email address. And if it's, you know, if it's Gmail or Yahoo, I don't go looking. But if they have an email address that ends with a obvious personal domain and yours was your website, com. then I go look at their work. And as I went and looked at your work, it was the same as Aaron's business card. I knew I had to get you on the show <laughs> because the type of photography that you do is, is uh, it's just really interesting to me how different it is from other people in your genre. So let's let's start first with this. You are, you, do you call yourself a street photographer?
1: <laughs> well, uh, I would say that only until very recently, I would call myself a biologist who likes to take pictures. And maybe three years ago, I changed this uh, attitude a bit, and I started to really spend a lot of time with photography. And since uh, the beginning of this year, I'm a, an official photographer, so I Which... dedicate...
0: Yeah, this is an interesting one to me because I have a friend similar to your situation. So let's start here. First of all, you're in Nice in the French Riviera. Yes. And but that's not where you're born. You were born in Italy, is it?
1: In Italy, yeah. Northern Italy, close to Venice.
0: And what you just said about you would have been a biologist is interesting because you do so much more than photography. You speak and correct me on any of these facts I've researched about you if I'm wrong because I'm wrong all the time. Seven languages, is that right?
1: <laughs> you shouldn't start with this.
0: No, but I, I have to know. So seven <laughs> languages. Okay, I need to know what they are. You speak Italian, you speak English, you speak French.
1: It's, it's six. I mean, you six. won't count Latin as a language. I had it for eight years or nine years at school, but you won't count that.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: How did you find it? You speak this? a lot of
0: languages, <laughs> but you are a biologist with a PhD in ecology. And you remind me of a friend of mine, good friend actually, His name is Matthias Hombauer. He's in Austria. and he was a molecular biologist and decided, just, you know what? I don't want to do research for the rest of my life. As much as I love doing it, it's just not what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to photograph concerts. And he left molecular biology and he went to become a concert photographer, very successful, started a podcast, How to become a rockstar photographer dot uh, com. And uh, just does a ton of different things. And it's kind of similar to you in that you're, you're a PhD, but you're also an artist. Do you do you make that connection in your head?
1: Yes, I do. And I do a lot of thinking about this because it's quite a transition. In fact, yes. I would say that I'm still a passionate biologist. I will never give up being this because I really found the the, the work of my life. That's what I always wanted to do. And I did. And I was very happy to do it for so many years and i spent many many years living in the brazilian amazon and doing my research there and i'm still involved in ecological conservation societies but then at the same time since i did all this traveling to go to conferences and to take care of my phd students and whatever uh i always had my camera with me it's my passion since i was a child and um i yeah I, I started to discover the artistic part of photography because being a scientist, I focused on uh, doing scientific photography, documenting oh. my trees, my plants, my, my plots, uh, my colleagues, whatever. And I, right. I at a certain point, I, I didn't want to do all of this uh, scientific photography anymore and I wanted to have some more soul in it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a really different, difficult thing. It happened also when I had to write. They asked me to write something nice about whatever, and I wasn't able. I mean, I have been writing scientific publications all my life and books, and and they taught me to leave out everything that is not strictly necessary right. and everything that is uh, just edit, edit, edit beautiful. So yeah, and it's quite a challenge to bring back some emotions and soul into the photography. Well,
0: (laughs) you do it in your photography. You've had exhibitions in France, Italy, Germany, Russia, (laughs) and you've talked about writing. I do want to mention you're the author of three different books. Uh, Promenade, 2018. Uh, Don't tell me. I'm going to pronounce this one right. It's not going to be easy. You know what was funny? Before I do this. Okay. Because people are going to rip me up for this. I... I took French in school, a little bit, and I re- practice this. Oh, I can do this, right? No problem. But under the pressure of doing it right now in front
1: of you, I'm about to choke <laughs> no. bad.
0: Un dimanche uh, matin à Nice?
1: No? Voilà, monsieur. Parfait. <laughs> okay, good, good. That's exactly.
0: Uh, and then that one's t- 2019. And then 2020, you did a book called Flow, Photography yes. as a Happiness experience. Now that one's only in German, correct?
1: Yes. For now, it's planned to be translated into English and French. Maybe. Let's see.
0: Okay. So people will understand what I mean when we get into the shot. And, and I'm going to just, once we get into the photo and I show the photo, it will make more sense for me to say, why, when I looked at your website and your portfolio, did I, n- I need to get you on? But before we get into that, let's get into some just basic questions. Number one. What makes a great street photo? Because that is mostly what you shoot. You're, you mostly shoot street photography.
1: It's a mix of things that all have to come together. And it's really difficult to get them because it's not like in a studio where you have something planned and you set up your light in one side and your model is here. And then like on your shows where you have the last show that I saw, it was fantastic about this portrait shooting up uh, in New York on on the rooftop. But uh, I mean, there Uh, are lots of things. Uh, Yeah, that was fantastic. And and still, I mean, for her, there were so many, uh, how do you say, uh, unforeseen things that happened with the wind and the weather and everything so that's difficult already but in street photography you don't even know who your model is (laughs) so you have to stay somewhere and hope that the right person comes and then someone comes and you still don't know is that the right person or do I have to wait longer for an even better person or the light then changes and uh, I like the complexity of it. Okay, so one of
0: the big things in street photography is usually it's black and white. Sometimes it's in color. Uh a Barionx Perello, who's been on the show and does his own podcast, he does a lot of color. Valerie Jardin does mostly black and white. She does a little bit of color here and there.
1: I learned a lot with Valerie Jardin, yes.
0: <laughs> she's a wonderful lady. Just she's been on the show before and and I respect her immensely. But you do a lot of color and a lot of black and white. To me, it's almost evenly split. What is your deciding factor? When you take a picture, what makes you choose? You know what? This one's going to be color. Or this one needs to be black and white. You know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. It's my mood. Usually, I'm a, I'm a colorful person. I'm someone, I'm, I'm running around, I'm dancing, I'm laughing, I'm singing. That's me. And so I'm color. <laughs> that's what my friends tell me. But uh, sometimes I'm in a bad mood. And uh, when I started all this uh, photography on a more serious a basis. Hmm?
0: Pia gets in a bad, I don't <laughs> know even know where to go. I'm sorry. I'm kidding. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> no, let's say not in a bad mood, but in a sad mood. So okay, some things happened in my life as doing everybody's lives. And there was uh, separation and the kids leave home. You know, the, the old story that everybody goes through at a certain age. And so I was in a a bit depressed mood and then it was in winter and even in winter even here it can be quite uh, cold and uh, strange and so I went to the sea and in winter the sun stands right in front of you it's not very high obviously so it stands right in front of you and I took these pictures which obviously then were black and white because I was in a depressed mood and the sun was so strong and And then I kept on taking these pictures and I said, ah, I cannot take black and white photos on the Côte d'Azur. I mean, it's just full of colors. There's no way. And so I I, well, I here, rather seldom take black and white photos.
0: Yeah, most of your stuff seems to be color. Yes. Which I'm going to touch on here in a second, but I, I just thought of a question. What's the biggest misconception people have about street photography?
1: Misconception? Hmm. I'm not sure. Uh, maybe I think people think it's easy because you just take your camera and walk the streets and then you just shoot and uh, it traditionally obviously it's black and white because the big masters who kind of invented uh, street photography did just black and white and uh, then it evolved to color and uh, there are still a lot of people who say that it's not so serious if it's color because you get distracted too much by the colors
0: Oh see, I don't agree though. and here's why. so f- people ask me sometimes, you know, in music photography, you only do black and white because the colors in the concert were really weird and you're trying to fix blown out clipped you know reds or whatever and that and sometimes that is the case in concert photography. It's you can recover a picture because one channel out of an RGB, you know the red blew out, but the the G and B are still okay. but the thing to me is, You remove color when it doesn't add to the story, right? When it is a distraction from the story that you're trying to tell. But those colors can be as much of the story as anything. And the example I give to people is look at the old black and white movies that they've colorized. Now, granted, some people don't like it, but it changes the vision that you have of it. When you shoot black and white, when I looked at your portfolio for the first time, I was looking at color, and then I went and looked at your black and white stuff. Your black and white stuff, no disrespect meant to any of the other street photographers that I know out there. I love you all. But your black and white stuff in many ways seems to be more technical to me. And one thing is 100% sure. They seem to be more contrasty than other people that I see, and I love it. I tell people, and I think it's because I'm colorblind, I tend to over contrast my pictures. And I think it's because I see contrast more than I see the color, right? The example I use is red apples in a green tree. Well, to somebody else, those stand out like a sore thumb. To me, they don't. Mm -hmm. But if I boost the contrast in those colors, then they do. So I love that your black and white stuff is so technical and so contrasty. But I'm curious, do you know that you're doing that? And if so, why?
1: I think I started doing it just from a feeling, and uh, but then I, I I wanted to learn more, and so I'm I'm doing a lot of workshops and learning uh, on the internet and reading books, and so now I'm aware of this. <laughs> I started off playing like a child, so it was more impulsive, but I'm I'm very aware. I, I like, for example, I like. Architectural structures, uh, stairs, uh, uh, lines, and and put the lines together with with some silhouette or something. That's something that I like. It's, uh, yeah, very yeah technical, maybe yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and and see, to me, I see that in your work. Um, are you, you are you aware of the contrast you put in your black and white and your color?
1: Oh yes, yes.
0: Okay, so it's I'd a conscious it choice.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah.
0: good. Well, I got to tell you, that's one of the reasons I leaped it. I have to have you on the show. <laughs> your scientific background, it clearly, you know, our lives affect everything that we do. Do you see that your scientific background influences or, for lack of a better phrase, colors your photography?
1: Yes, I do. And I hate it because I want to get rid of this really? in the photography. I mean, I'm, I'm full heart when I'm a biologist, but- in photography, I don't want to be a biologist or or a PhD. I just want to be emotional and I want to be impulsive and all these things that you're not allowed to be as a scientist.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. See, because to me, I think it brings really. Into, I think it may be one of the reasons I see so much technicality. You know, technical correct. Mm-hmm. I'm, I can't think of the words I'm looking for. Um, technical correctness in in your your photos. Is I think it may be your scientific background. Today's shot being a good example. So, today's shot, before I bring it up, uh, I want to remind everybody if you're listening to the audio only feed, you can always head over to the website behindtheshot.tv. I will have a uh, entire blog post on this episode with Pia over there. I've written a little information on Pia that you can read and check out. I have a small gallery of, uh, it's not huge, but just to give you kind of a sample of of the type of work that she does. Again, it's behindtheshot.tv. You can also subscribe to this podcast if you're watching it on YouTube and you prefer to use a podcast app. You can find this podcast if you search for Behind the Shot, And two results will come up. Actually, there's a third one now because somebody else is using a similar name in Germany. But there's two of mine up there and it's behind the shot and behind the shot dash video. There is an actual video version of this in your podcast app, assuming that your podcast app supports video. If you prefer the YouTube method, head on over to behind the shot on YouTube. Make sure that you subscribe in either case. On YouTube, click the bell. Otherwise you will not get a notification on each and every, you know, release that I do. So that brings us up to today's shot. And this photo is called the orange cap. I'm going to do what I always do. I'm going to describe this shot. This one I think I'm going to get, right? Sometimes I just, I have a hard time. I think I can get this one, but we'll have Pia critique me when I'm done. Uh, Again, if you go to the website, you can see the picture, or if you watch the video version of the show, you can, you can see the picture. So it is a One-to-one ratio, that's actually critical here. It's It's a square crop, not for Instagram. It's a square crop, if I'm not mistaken, based on how it's done. And Pia will tell us in a second here, I'm pretty sure that was an intentional crop. But it's a color street photography shot. It's full of color. I'm talking super bright color. It's got motion. It's got everything you want kind of with life at the beach. So this is on the French Riviera in Nice it's a very low angle. So there's a guy sitting, you're behind him. There's some concrete between you and him. If you're watching the video right now, I'm looking to the side because I'm looking at the pictures. I'm describing it. I apologize that I'm not looking right in your eyes, but because I know people hate that, but there's some concrete. Then there's the back of a guy as he's sitting and you can tell he's got like his elbows on his knees, right? And he's looking out at the ocean and it's a beautiful ocean color. And I've been to the French Riviera and this takes me right back there. It's, Uh, kind of a bluish cloudy, but it's long exposure bluish cloudy so that they're blurred. There is an orange cap on his head that is super vibrant. He's wearing a blue sweatshirt, super vibrant. The water, however, and everything looked totally natural. There's a lady walking by. I'm guessing it's a lady. She is super blurred. She's got like an orange top. I think it's a yellow purse, which is what makes me think it's a female. I'm guessing it's blue jeans and tennis shoes. He's on one rule of third, vertical rule of third. She's on the other vertical rule of third. And here's where it gets interesting. The composition of this photo is laid out in such a way that three quarters of the top of the shot, like literally the bottom horizontal rule of third is the horizon line of the water meeting the sky. So the whole top of the photo is blue sky. And the orange cap is in the blue sky, which is brilliant, right? Um, Just very, very slow motion, very, very blurred. How did I do?
1: <laughs> Great. <laughs> I didn't myself see all these details in my own photo.
0: <laughs> and, and here's what happens. I have people tell me on a regular basis, I listen to the audio version, I see if I can picture the shot. Somebody just the other day said to me, "Most of the time, you get it. This one, you didn't."
1: <laughs> so it's you like,
0: did. "Well, I tried." There's
1: one thing that I could add, perhaps, if you allow. Okay, please. There do. is an orange line on the on the back of the guy. Also, I like this yes. little orange line. <laughs>
0: On the bottom of the sweatshirt, like it's the elastic yep. part, the <laughs> stretchy part of the sweatshirt. Could have been any He's wearing other gray color. sweatpants. Like, <laughs> like his sweatpants are like eighteen percent gray. This is everything I want in a color photo. Um, you shoot Olympus. This is an EM5 Mark II, correct? Yes. And what lens would this have been?
1: Well, I usually use my my small uh, pancake lens, but this time, for some reason, I had a. Uh, 14 to 150 millimeter, which I I usually take it for when I travel because it's very easy when I go to Madagascar or Borneo or wherever and then I need a close-up. or a, So I have this lens. And I, I'm i not really sure why on this day I, I took this lens with me. Usually I just take my camera, one lens, and uh, my tripod, and I don't take any well, other lenses with me. So
0: And according to the EXIF data, this was shot at ISO 100. Thirty-one millimeters, which the Olympus is not full frame. So in a full frame, that's the equivalent of like sixty-two millimeters, yeah. which is a really nice uh, uh, kind of viewpoint for this type of a shot. The square crop was intentional, right? It wasn't an Instagram, yeah,
1: thing. yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. It th- the balance is where it works, but here's where I'm interested. The EXIF the data says that you shot this at F-22 in one-eighth of a second. Is that correct?
1: Yes, it is.
0: So the F-22 got you, I mean, focus galore. It is focused to the horizon line of that ocean. The eighth of a second got you the person walking by so amazingly blurred and yet still a human, right? Still the colors are there. He's tack sharp. Eighth of a second is a long time. Most people still kind of wiggle and fidget. <laughs> it's amazing to me you got him sharp. Was this the only version of this shot?
1: No, this this guy, luckily, he he stayed there for, I would say, half an hour. I mean, I saw him, and I put my camera behind him. I, I put my camera on this tripod, which I put on the lowest level, and I have a cable uh, remote control, and then I just stay there. And so in this case, I might have been, okay. uh, it might have that been whatever, 10 meters or something behind him or yeah, something like that. And then I wait for people to walk by and if I'm too close, the people will just walk behind me. So I'm, I'm rather far away and then, uh, and then I wait and that's what I did here. And I waited for, this is
0: shut Exif data said shutter priority.
1: Uh, is that,
0: which would be, you know, like TV mode.
1: Yeah, um, no, I, I, I'm, I not, always, I'm sorry,
0: not TV mode. It would be like an AV mode.
1: Yes, no, TV I, mode. I yeah, always, TV mode. I, I use uh, uh, the priority of, of uh, motion. What, what, you, um, what do you say?
0: Right, the shutter, the time.
1: Time, yeah. I, I use shutter priority. So I choose because I have to switch. If someone walks very fast, I have to swi- switch the time very fast. So this lady walked by in her pace, pace and, and I saw her coming. And so I, I decided for one eighth. If there were would have been a bicycle, I would have put one or one twenties. And if oh. there was an old lady, I would have switched to one fifth. You know. So I do it in a and really I, when I watch the people walk by, I, I decide the very second. And the rest okay. I leave it to the camera because I don't have the time to set it all.
0: That's fascinating. I like that breakdown. This is, where is this exactly? This is the Promenade des Anglais in Nice? Yes,
1: that's exactly the city center of uh, of Nice, the Promenade des Anglais, where all the people walk from right to left and from left to right. You can't walk in another direction, basically. And so it's okay. easy because uh, I can just stand stand there and there's a lot of tourists and there are a lot of people doing whatever, so they don't even look at me most of the time.
0: So tell me about this. You're you're letting people go by. Yeah. And you're kind of timing them. You're kind of seeing what their gait is, how fast they're moving. So an older lady would be different than a bicyclist, would be different than a normal adult human. But as you're thinking about that, are you are you aware? You know, I don't want that one, even though she looks like she's walking really good. Because her top is blue and it's going to blend in with the sky. This one, oh, orange top, I want this one. Or, or do you just shoot everybody?
1: Oh, no, no, no. I, I photograph look, everybody. I, I mean, I'm, I'm there really checking who's coming. <laughs> and so there, there are some times when it doesn't work because there's it's just too busy. So it's perfect when there's lots of people coming alone uh, time by time so that I have the time. I see them walking. I mean, I see them from the two sides and I can see... Uh, this one is interesting. This one is not. I let them pass. So, I, no, no, I choose exactly what I shoot. And I I, okay. I do a lot of pictures that I throw away afterwards because sometimes you don't get the, the step right, you know, these things. But uh, basically, I, I, I look exactly. And if there's someone in a colorful dress, then I will follow him forever.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah, I understand. But you just said something I want to go deeper on. You said, you know, I take a lot of picture I throw away because maybe their steps aren't right. What makes the steps right? Like here, this reminds me of something my buddy Rick Salmon says, and that is there should be a foot off the ground. Yeah. Like if you're photographing horses, there should be a hoof off the ground. You have that here. There's there's separation of the feet. What to you makes the step right?
1: Well, it's, it's the separation. I learned this with uh, Valérie Jardin, <laughs> who you were speaking of before. Uh, she just, uh, in her workshops, she says, it's the best if you have the, the legs like right, this and, and the fore, and the forefoot a bit stepping up like this. And uh, it's really difficult to, to get the step. So when someone comes, I count. I, I count the rhythm. And I count and then I go cluck in the moment when I think it's the right moment for the step. And then sometimes it works, but sometimes it doesn't. And then people might just also switch their steps. and uh, Which so. I've
0: seen a number of times. And we should give another shout out to Valerie. If you have not looked up Valerie Jardin, please go look up Valerie Jardin because she's fantastic. I was working actually on, it just re- struck me, I was working on getting her back on the show and I need to reach out to her about that again. Um, so this series, this is called Promenade Moments promenade moments when i was reading about this series it was fascinating to me cuz you're talking about the terrorist attack that happened in nice you're talking about a, you being a parent worrying about your children you're talking about you know your personal life big events that were happening to you at the same time that you kind of created this series explain this series to me in your in your own words
1: well, I started the series without knowing it was a series. I just needed to go out and see the ocean and the and the sea and the sun and the colors, and that was my own uh, how do you say um, meditation <laughs> in a way. And so I spent a lot of time on this uh, promenade, looking for nice things to photograph, and then I started to choose this angle, which now I realize, talking to you that probably is something really scientific. I mean, it drives me mad if the horizon is uh, not really like 100% uh Oh, I'm horizontal. right there with you. <laughs> and also right this there is, with uh, separation you. Inserts, and thirds. And I like this. It's uh, It makes me feel happy. <laughs>
0: well, and, you, said, uh, you sent me a, a, a written description of the series, by the way, the, or the story of this shot, I should say. And there's a quote in there that stuck out at me, which is why I asked that question about, Tell me the story of the series, but even it's just this shot and the quote was, "This photo also represents my story as a photographer that's kind of a special thing
1: Well it does because uh, I went back and back and back to this promenade I lived twenty kilometers from there and I, I I went there whenever I could and then the the terror attack happened and I mean it was really it was something really very very it changed the life of uh, of the people on the Côte d'Azur because we we kind of thought we were just happy on our seaside and then we had more than 80 people killed by a lorry, by a truck, which went right on the sidewalk that you see here on the photo. And uh, I started to do photos before that and uh, I had a hard time going back and take nice colorful pictures in a place where... People died, and and then also my kids. They were there that night. It was a big party, and, and they had to spend the night with strangers in the city. And it was a, uh, it's something that really touches you. It's not just uh, yeah, okay, let's do something new now. And so, after a while, I decided on purpose that I wanted to go back there, especially because the message of this terror attack should have been. Uh, that we should change our free and happy lives, and we should be uh, not free and not uh, yeah live our superficial, beautiful, whatever, consumistic life anymore. I don't agree with this. I think uh, we 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 have to live our free life and our happy lives, even if it's superficial and consumistic. But that's what we do, and uh, although. I'm a biologist and a conservation ecologist I would like to reduce certain things, but it's still in the mind we have to be free and we have to be able to just walk out in the in the city and and enjoy the colors and enjoy being together and that's basically also my message that I want to pass with my colorful pictures and so I went back there back and back and took all these pictures and after a while I had a kind of a series and uh, it was i'm I wasn't even aware it's just that i i I went there very often and I always had this uh, right angle to the sea, always the same kind of uh, uh, setting. And so some friends, two friends, two ladies who I appreciate very much, they said, uh, you have a wonderful series. You should present these at the at the festival. And we have two or three nice uh, photography festivals in the region here. And they said, you should just uh, participate. <laughs> I didn't. At first i I did was this the,
0: there. the one
1: Photomanton, yes, it's the city of Manton, which is right on the Italian border, and i i I didn't even go to visit this festival before, so I had no idea and they said, yeah, don't worry, just uh, send in your application and and so I participated at this festival and and this picture that you chose. Uh, this won a prize right away. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. It won, it won the poster prize, and so it was my very first experience of exposing something, uh, of of printing my pictures in the first place. I mean, I always printed little photos of my kids, but of really printing large size. And I, I this I, I really printed one one meter by one meter, really big in metal. Oh, wow. So it was really shiny on metal. Ooh. And And uh, yeah, and so yeah, so this picture is. Is my story in this way because this changed everything? Once you have such a such an emotion <laughs> with the photos, then you go on. I mean, I couldn't stop being a photographer then.
0: <laughs> well, and and for those people that are doing the math in their head, one meter by one meter is three feet oh, by yeah. three feet for, th- right. for those that need the conversion. <laughs> and this ended up being the actual symbol of that festival the next year, correct?
1: Yes, right. So it was hanging all over the Côte d'Azur on really big posters everywhere. <laughs>
0: that's got to that's got to be amazing so let's talk about composition here for a second yes. because your images quite often are a 1 to 1 ratio they're square for street photography that's unusual and as we've established earlier that that's not just because you're putting it on Instagram it's because it's the way you want them to be why
1: well the promenade is very long it's I think 8 kilometers long so I'm not sure how, how much that's in miles but it's quite long <laughs> and uh and I played around with several formats long uh, whatever and uh and then actually in the beginning I I joined Instagram when when it still was it didn't give you the option of having other formats than the square and I posted some some of my pictures there and that's where I realized that I like the format, though. And then I started to take the photos in a way that they fit this, this square format because that's something that you wouldn't think of on a long promenade. I mean, you you would right. rather choose something very long. And and I like this uh, particular way of seeing the photos, maybe because it's different from, from all the other thousands of photos that are being shot on this promenade every day.
0: It's 100%. I mean, it's like... 180 degrees opposite of every street photo that you normally see, which makes it really intriguing to the eye. And again, you're talking two-thirds sky, one-sixth ocean, one-sixth concrete. Um, It's just really well laid out, the F-22 keeping everything in focus. Were you aware as you were shooting this, were you aware of his body, in relation to the ocean and the sky?
1: Oh, yes. Like where I, his I kept, shoulders land? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I, I kept on moving up and down until I found the right position. And uh, it's quite... <laughs> it's exhausting. It's so warm there. The sun is shining, and then you have to be in this bent mode, and, and then you don't see a thing because the sun is shining, and the people keep on walking. And... and uh, <laughs> but I figured this out on purpose. And... Uh, yeah, I think it's very important where the head is. I mean, you you can't just have the have the line of the sea running through the head or running somewhere. Uh, so I decided right. for this position, yeah.
0: Yeah, I I like. And you nailed the separation between them. Right? Your timing on the, at an eighth of a second, you which for many people would be difficult. At an eighth of a second, you perfectly landed on rule of thirds. Now, granted, it's a wider shot. So technically they weren't, but but knowing you were going to crop it at a one-to-one, they're just the perfect distance apart. What's interesting is the lighting here. Based on shadows, the light is far camera right. Those shadows are very, very long. Do we know what time of day this is?
1: Yes, it's in the evening. It's not evening. It's, uh, it's 5.30 in the evening, 5 p.m. So, p.m. then the
0: sunlight based on the purse is pretty harsh here.
1: Yes, because that's something that I found out only after a while. I used to go there during the day, and in the daytime, you have the sun right in front of you. And then I started going in the evening when my kids left home, because when my kids are home, I take them home from school, I have dinner. So, I never was on the promenade after four because my kids were coming home from school. And afterwards, I stayed longer into the evening because that's when you have the nicer light and and it's warmer and softer. And what I realized on a certain spot of the promenade, because the promenade is round, and on on a certain part of it, if you stay long enough, the sun eventually goes behind the people. And this is what's happening here. Uh, On a certain part of the year, in a certain (laughs) configuration, you have the sunlight coming from behind for an hour or something. But this doesn't happen very early, so it has to be late in the evening.
0: But okay, here's where it confuses me though. The sun is very harsh on one side, the shadows are very long. But that in my head, I don't understand like like l- looking at the guy's back, he's lit on one side, there's almost a line down his his back where the shadows start and the shadows are not as as pronounced as I would think. So in post, do you lift your shadows?
1: So, yes. What I do, um I I don't like post-production at all actually but i know that you can enhance the photo okay. so i i don't use photoshop at all first first thing i, I use lightroom and usually i spend uh, three minutes on my photos and this is what i do here what i did i took out the shadows and i took out the blacks i pretty much uh, took them out to a certain percentage and uh, this makes this a uh, bit pastel color and uh, that's how i get this but I would say I, I spend maybe two or three minutes of post-production on this photo. It's, uh, I mean, That's you know all? the colors of the sea. The people don't believe me, but the sea is really like this. And uh, yeah, and, and if you take out the sh- shadows and the black uh, contrast, then you have this uh, a bit softer light. But it's really, basically, it's not post-produced, no.
0: Wow. Okay. So one thing I've always noticed, I don't do street photography. And one thing I've always noticed in street photography, and I love about it actually, is the ability to, I don't want to say break rules because it's not rules, but it's kind of like my music photography. There are certain genres of photography where clipped blacks or clipped highlights are frowned upon, right? So you're doing a portrait, you don't want to clip the person's tip of their nose or something. Street photography and music photography as well, the dynamic range is so high a lot of times you're not going to use, you know, ND filters or anything. Um, you're going to end up with clips, highlights. Do you ever concern yourself with the fact that to get the right exposure that you need where you need it, that you may or may not clip a highlight here and there or clip a shadow here and there?
1: I, I try to take the pictures in camera as much as I can. I really don't don't uh, do a lot of thinking about it. I I rather take my camera like a child, and I I have the basic understanding that uh is sufficient for me, and uh, I don't do all, all these <laughs> planning of <laughs> whatever. No, I I I did a lot of try and error before being able to take these type of pictures, but now I can can do them really like uh, like at once. It works. And uh, it it took maybe two or three months of try and error to get get, uh, the colors right and and the speed. Most important is the speed because uh, you need the right blur. Otherwise, you have just a fantome or you have it's too strong, too hard. So, yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, that makes total sense. So, I have to ask this question, though, because you said, and like I said earlier, I've been to the French Riviera and, and I love it you know south of france area this is what the ocean looks like this is what the sky looks like right the concrete looks completely accurate the colors are so vibrant do you in that 2 3 minutes of post do you add vibrancy or or saturation or no, not at all
1: <laughs> most of the time i take it away <laughs> i mean not in this one but really yeah yeah it's no no i didn't add vibrancy no it's a uh, I mean you have the th- this is a very windy day and in the windy days you have the the blue the deep blue and the, and the and the and of the sea and in front it's it's not a sand beach it's a gravel so you have these these uh, stones which roll with with uh, with uh, with the waves and uh, they they have some kind of little silt around them, which then gets released and, and makes the color of the sea in front be this light. And so you have these different colors of the sea because of the of the wind and of the waves. And uh, many times I, I desaturate my fo- my photos.
0: Wow, that's <laughs> I got to go look at your portfolio again now, because uh, that's amazing. If you were to before we finish up, I love this photo, love this photo. Love all your work. And again, I don't want to take away from the black and whites because people should go look at the black and whites. Pia's black and white stuff is amazing. And the contrast that you get in some of your black and whites is just luscious. I just love it. So if people were to, if you were to tell people they should follow or go look up one photographer that they may not know, who is it?
1: One that they do not know. Well, there is a French photographer that I like very much. Jean-Christophe Becher. He is a street photographer in Paris. I'm not sure if he's very well known internationally, but he's very known in, uh, in the French community. And he has done a lot of books. He, goes, he travels the world, he travels Europe, and he does street photography portraits. And uh, I really like his photos a lot, but he's not, he, he's, he told me, because I, I made uh, two or three workshops with him, and he told me I'm a very color and symmetrical person, <laughs> and he's the exact opposite. So he likes uh, really desaturated photos, and he never has a, a horizon which is like this. His horizons are like this. Right. <laughs> so he's really different, and, but I like his work a lot. So Jean-Christophe Bechet.
0: And there's room for both. Right. I mean, there's room in street photography for both of those, those approaches to it. And that's one of the things that's really Mm -hmm. neat about street photography is it's one of the least boxed in Mm -hmm. genres of photography. It's, it's experimentation almost by design, which is absolutely awesome. So before we go, your website, if you just want to give out your website for those on an audio feed really quick, uh, what's your website?
1: Well, it's just my name. It's uh, www.piaparolin.allinone.com, and uh, I'm also on Instagram as piaparolin, or piaparolinphoto, and uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on on Twitter, but I'm not very active. Yeah.
0: And just so that everybody knows, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook—all three of those are the same. Piaparolinphoto. Yes, it's
1: yeah. And I it's- always have the same name. Yeah.
0: Yeah, same one, which is good branding. Uh, but the last name is P-A-R-O-L-I-N. Yes. So piaparalin.com. Thank right. you so much for doing this. We've been working on doing this for a while, and you had to go to a friend's house to do this. I wish your friend was there right now so that I could wave and say thank you. Uh, please thank them for letting you do this. Uh, and I hope that 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 your, your internet reaches modern... <laughs> someday long story inside joke people inside joke pia yeah. thank you so much
1: well i thank you so much steve i can't believe that uh, you invited me on your show i follow it and i love it and it's i love your perfection i love your photos i i saw them on on your website it's fantastic and i feel so honored that you invited me i thank you very much
0: it believe me it is my pleasure so everyone let me just remind you piaparolin.com Pia Parolin Photo on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook. Again, she's not real active on those, although she does some stuff on Twitter that I see. But Instagram is where she's most uh, most active. I do want to remind you of a couple of things before we go, and that is the critique shows that I'm doing with Don Komarechka. Uh, the way to get in on that, if you want to participate in the critique shows, is go over to Flickr, sign up for at least the free account, or better yet, the pro account join the the behind-the-shot group on Flickr and then add your photos to the the behind-the-shot group with the Flickr tag, not a hashtag, it's a Flickr tag. They have their own tagging system, BTS Critique. Those are the photos we search through. Those are the photos we pick from for the critique shows. And actually two days or so after I'm recording this with Pia, it won't air. It'll air before this. So if you go look when you see this episode, if you go look at the last one, we are actually having our first guest person on with Don and I. So there's going to be three of us. It's a very special guest to me. Uh, very, very good friend of mine. So I'm looking forward to having him on and go watch the show and you'll find out who it is. You can find me, of course, on social media all over the place. I'm Steve Brazel on Instagram. I'm uh, Steve Brazel on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Facebook, but it's Steve Brazel Photography and I'm really not there a lot because I really am not a huge fan of Facebook. Uh, behind the Shot TV for the podcast on either of those platforms. And of course, you can find the website behind the shot.tv for the website for the podcast or stevebrazel.com for me. And that pretty much wraps it up. Again, thank you to my guest Pia Patarlin. She is up late in the south of France. She's at a friend's house, and I cannot say how much I appreciate her going through that trouble. And thank you personally to her friend. To everybody, this is Behind the Shot, the show where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots. We will see you on the next
1: show.